It's August 21st, 1986, in the West Central African nation of Cameroon. It's evening, and in the villages around a lake called Neos, people are getting ready to go to sleep. These are farming and ranching communities, and it's been a long, hard day. But then they hear some strange rumbling sounds start coming from the direction of the lake. Villagers start to get headaches and say they smell something like gunpowder or a car exhaust. They begin to feel tired and unable to keep their eyes open. And then they fall unconscious. Hours later, some of the villagers wake up. But when they do, they discover that almost 1,800 of their neighbors, their fathers, mothers, children, friends, people they know, have all died. Rumors spread quickly about what could have caused this disaster. Maybe it was an attack of some sort, an explosion, poison gas. Some say it was maybe from a bomb or a volcano. Others have an even stranger theory, that maybe it had something to do with the lake itself. I'm Dylan Thuris, and this is Atlas Obscura. Today, we'll hear the story of this mysterious and tragic disaster, and we'll meet two of the scientists who did the work to figure out exactly what happened on that night of August 21st, and how to make sure it never happens again. The story of Lake Neos, after this. When was the last time I took a road trip? How many national parks could I hit in two weeks? What about hotels? Wait, hey, Erica, how much am I spending on travel? When your questions about life turn into questions about money, there's Erica, the virtual financial assistant to help you spend, save, and plan smarter. Only from Bank of America. What would you like the power to do? Erica is only available in the English language. You must download the latest version of the mobile banking app, only available on select mobile devices. Your chat may be recorded and monitored for quality assurance. Message and data rates and additional terms may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. For your next vacation spot, check out Texas for their vast landscape of culture, regions, destinations, and activities. Explore 350 miles of coastline and every kind of hiking trail, from strenuous to wheelchair accessible. Enjoy world-famous barbecue and Tex-Mex, and check out thrilling cowboy experiences. Travel Texas even offers an online trip builder that allows users to generate a custom, visually-led trip matched to their unique interests. Visit TravelTexas.com slash GetYourOwn to get the only trip to Texas that matters. Yours. We went there when the rains had started, so it was incredibly green with all of the grass. And then there's just this little jewel of a blue lake surrounded by these high cliffs. And it's really quite spectacular. This is George Kling. He is a lake expert at the University of Michigan. But way back in 1985, he was just a grad student traveling around Cameroon and studying their local lakes. He remembers meeting a townsperson in the village of Lower Neos named Mr. Lucas, whose two sons led him to the lake nearby. There was a little sign, Lake Neos, and a, a finger pointing that way. And children would guide people up to the lake and show them they'd take pictures and, and then come down and write their reflections in a guidebook. 
the lake before was this beautiful, uh, clear blue lake, very pretty, kind of like Crater Lake in Oregon. George went to the shore of Lake Neos, took some water samples, and signed the guidebook. Then he continued on with his travels. Fast forward one year later, and George was back at school when he heard the news about the mysterious disaster at Lake Neos. I found out about the disaster when the U.S. State Department contacted my advisor and he told me that they were putting together a scientific response team to the disaster. They pulled together experts in gas, in chemistry, in geology. And then there was George, the lake expert, or a limnologist. The State Department knew George had been to Lake Neos before, and they wanted his knowledge of the site. So less than two weeks after the disaster, George arrived back at Lake Neos, and everything was different from the way it had been the year before. Yeah, the situation when we first got to the lake was very eerie because it was tremendously quiet. The people who had lived close to the lake, in fact, up to, to 16 miles away from the lake in the, in the river valleys, people were killed. So there was no activity around. Some people who were living above the lake in the mountains had survived. But in the lower-lying areas, the loss of life was absolutely staggering. And for George, that included the people he'd met on his first trip. The two boys that took us up, Mr. Lucas's sons who guided us up to the lake the first time we went, um, that village was all destroyed as well. That was very uh, sad to see that those people were gone. And it wasn't just human beings who had died. The bodies of cattle and goats were littered around the lake. And the sounds of even the birds and insects were gone. Even the lake itself wasn't the same. It was very muddy and brownish uh, with floating mats of vegetation on the surface. And when the sun was out, the lake got very red. George's team included people who were experts on volcanoes. And they had a theory about what had caused all of that death on the night of August 21st. One idea was that this was just a, a volcanic explosion. We're in a volcanic region of Cameroon, and the poor little lake happened to get in the way. Reports from some of the survivors supported this idea. They'd said that they'd felt very hot and smelled gunpowder or rotten eggs, telltale signs of sulfur, which is released during a volcanic explosion. So the scientists started looking for signs that it could have been a volcanic explosion. First, the scientists took a temperature profile of the lake. We lowered the temperature probe down to the bottom, and it's a very deep lake, almost 210 meters deep. And what we found was that the lake was relatively cool. I mean, it's warm because it's in the tropics. But there was no evidence that there was a large body of magma close to the surface heating up the lake. And the fact that the lake was cool gave us our first sense that this may not have been a volcano that just exploded. Next, they lowered a bottle into the lake and took a water sample. When that bottle got close to the surface, the, the ends of it just exploded out because of the high gas pressure. And all of these bubbles came up. That told us that, that there was a huge amount of gas still remaining in the lake. 
And in fact, because the lake was so big and so deep, that that may have been where the gas was stored before the disaster. The gas they collected was carbon dioxide, CO2, which at very high concentrations can cause headaches, dizziness, and even suffocation and death. But if the CO2 had been stored in the lake, as George suspected, how could the lake suddenly have exploded without warning? If you think about a pop bottle, for example, you look in it and you don't see any gas. And that's because the pressure from the lid is keeping the gas dissolved in the solution. And that's the way it is in the bottom of the lake. The weight of the water on top is keeping the gas dissolved in the bottom of the lake. But let's say you dropped that soda bottle. It might just explode wide open. If something caused a disruption, say a falling rock, it could trigger an eruption of CO2 gas out of the lake. And at Lake Neos, the team spotted a landslide scar right above the cliff surrounding the lake. But there were still questions. If there was no volcano, the team of experts wondered, why did so many of the victims smell sulfur and feel hot? So that was a real mystery for us until we ran across some older medical literature that tested for... Um, oxygen stress in fighter pilots by using high concentrations of CO2. And what they found was that CO2 at concentrations above about 10% acts as a sensory hallucinogen so that people feel things and smell things that aren't really there. And one of the most common reports from the fighter pilots was that they felt very warm and hot, sweaty, and that they smelled rotten eggs and gunpowder. The, the same things that the, the survivors reported smelling, even though there really wasn't sulfur around. It all seemed pretty convincing, but they're scientists, so they needed more data. Specifically, they needed to keep an eye on the CO2 levels within the lake. If the CO2 started to go down over time, maybe the explosion at Neos had been a volcanic eruption, a, a kind of one-time thing. But if the CO2 started going up again, it might be seeping into the lake and being stored inside it. And that was a recipe for disaster. But they needed proof, and for that, they had to be patient. In the meantime, they didn't wait to take action. After the disaster, the Cameroonian government asked Kling and his colleagues to go around the country and test other crater lakes that were similar to Lake Neos. They wanted to make sure that these other lakes weren't on the verge of exploding. One test brought them to a remote area around 40 miles away from Lake Neos. At the time, a hydrologist named Greg Tanalecki was working nearby, studying a waterfall to see if it could be harnessed for power. And he heard about what the Americans were doing and wanted to link up. But the lake was super difficult to reach. You had to navigate a steep, nasty cliff. Greg could have just waited for them to come back. But instead... But then I decided to give them a surprise. And they found me right beside the crater itself. Somehow, Greg made it down all on his own. And his daring and dedication stuck out to the Americans. They needed scientists to continue monitoring the CO2 levels in the lake once they returned to the U.S. And they quickly realized that Greg's expertise and enthusiasm for the project would be invaluable. So it was the beginning 
of what would become a decades-long collaboration and friendship. In May 1987, they brought Greg on his first visit to Lake Neos. While pulling a water sample, something went a little wrong with the tool they were using. And huge gas bubbles started coming to the surface. All of us were so scared. I was at that point that when I tried to find out what was that, he told me those are the gas bubbles. What? So there's gas in this lake? He told me, yeah, there's still much gas in the lake. It changed my life. Those bubbles. That was the moment, Greg said, when he became obsessed with trying to figure out what had happened at Lake Neos. The day did I know that that would be my job for the next 30, 35 years today. During those first few years, Greg returned frequently to the lake to take samples and monitor its CO2 levels. And over time, lo and behold, Greg's samples and the work of other international teams pointed in one direction. CO2 was building up once again in the bottom waters of Lake Neos. And now that they knew this, they had another problem. What were they going to do about it? Gas is building up, that's fine enough. But how do you go about it trying to remove it in a secured manner without provoking another explosion? That was a challenge at the time. An international team of scientists wrapped their heads around this and eventually came up with an idea. A series of pipes that would bring water and CO2 from the lowest reaches of the lake up to the surface, releasing this gas in a slow, controlled manner. In the mid-90s, a French Cameroonian team, including Greg, installed some small-scale test versions and found out that it could really work. By 2001, they were able to get some money to install a larger pipe inside the lake. They added more pipes in the 2010s. For 20 years now, those pipes have been hard at work, doing what scientists call the degassing of Lake Neos. The pipes keep CO2 in the lake at a safe level and prevent disastrous explosions, like the one that killed nearly 1,800 people on August 21st, 1986. It's still not a perfect solution. Greg hopes someday that they'll be able to find more money to install a newer, better degassing system in the lake. But for now, the dangers of Lake Neos have been tamed. George Kling sees this intervention at Lake Neos as a perfect example of what science and engineering can do to solve the problems of the world. You know, most natural hazards that we have, we can prepare for them to some degree, but we can't stop them. We can't stop floods. We can't stop hurricanes or tornadoes or volcanoes. This was actually a natural hazard that we could do something about and mitigate it to the point where there's no longer any danger. That's really a great example of how science and engineering can work together to improve well-being for people in the world. Special thanks to George Kling and Greg Tanilecki for telling us about their incredible work at Lake Neos. Our podcast is a co-production of Atlas Obscura and Witness Docs. This episode was produced by Amanda McGowan. The production team includes Doug Baldinger, Chris Naka, Camille Stanley, Willis Ryder Arnold, Sarah Wyman, Manolo Morales, McKenna Smith, Gianna Palmer, Tracy Samuelson, John Delore, Peter Clowney, Guinevere Govea, Annie Hubick. 
And this episode was sound designed by Chris Naka. This episode was mixed by Luce Fleming. Our technical director is Casey Holford. And our theme and end credit music is by Sam Tyndall. I'm Dylan Thuris, wishing you all the wonder in the world. I will see you next time. Witness Docs from Stitcher. The world isn't wide enough for those with an insatiable desire for discovery. The all-new 2024 Lincoln Nautilus Hybrid SUV offers the power and freedom to explore further and deeper than ever before. Intuitive, smart features ensure that you're always connected to the road ahead. Inside, a thoughtfully designed cabin immerses you in a universe that is all your own. The larger-than-life panoramic display spans the entire width of the cabin. It's customizable and interactive. Drivers can even personalize their backgrounds with a series of nature-inspired themes. This vehicle signals the arrival of an exciting new chapter for Lincoln. Discover more about the 2024 Lincoln Nautilus at Lincoln.com. There's a moment you realize you're ready for what's next in your career. Maybe it's when you're trying a new scone recipe and think, I could open a cafe. Or maybe you're helping a coworker and say, I could teach a course on this. Whatever your moment is, it's never too early to plan for a career that lives longer. That's why the younger you are, the more you need AARP. For skills training, resume tips, and job listings, visit aarp.org work.